Hello and welcome to I Spit on Your Grades. Um, we left it kind of open last week in regard to what we were doing. I was indecisive and hadn't made up my mind on what we're going to do. So springing this on you, uh, this week we are doing Animal Horror, which we were supposed to do for the Soho Shatterday. <laughs> Shut down Saturdays. Soho Saturday shutdown, right? Right. If you read the reviews, though, Saturday um, sometimes is applicable, <laughs> according to some people. So. We're not, we're not going to go into shitty one-star review this week, especially when it's not justified <laughs> on a really good film. As you can hear, we're joined this week by the curator, sexy motherfucker, and all-round superstar, Mitchell Harrod, along with Mercer and Christopher, as well, as always. Such a disappointing introduction for me and Christopher there. <laughs> they prefaced it, sexy motherfuckers. It, it just, you didn't pick up the S there. It was, it, was a collect, it was a collective introduction, I'm sure. It so was. Um, I'm sorry, guys, I didn't mean to do you down, but I see your mugs every week, you know, so... You see Mitch's every week? No. Not like this, no. But thank you for having me, guys. It's always it's always lovely to talk spooky shit with you. Thank you for coming on. Um, as I said, we were supposed to do this, uh, but life found a way, as Jeff Goldblum says. Yeah, so we've gone animal horror, which I think there are some surprising hicks in this because yeah. it doesn't automatically go where you think it would go. I must say uh -huh. right off the bat, we ain't got Jaws. So the if you came here for Jaws, them. you fucked it. There's no Jaws, which I thought there would have been somewhere down the line, but no. Do you know what's kind of weird? Because obviously, you know, I love a shark movie. I've got a shark costume mm -hmm. in my closet. It's one of two. It's one of two fancy dress outfits I have, and it's a whole fucking shark. Um, I love shark movies, but for some reason, when when we were like went to the mantle and kind of were scrolling through IMDb and letterbox lists looking for killer animal movies to make you know to make sure you don't miss one out, um, I didn't even consider shark films really because I think they kind of exist in their own world. Obviously, they are a killer animal movie, but they're like a whole separate thing. But um, no, Jaws is almost kind of too. I feel like there's nothing we could say about Jaws that hasn't already been said. Do you know what I mean? Yes. You kind of just sit there and you go, and my pick is Jaws. Next, next pick. <laughs> okay, enough chatter. Let's delve in. Mitch, what's your yeah. best animal horror pick? Well, I'm going to, we've got some fun films today, but I'm going to start things off pretty down upbeat, I think. <laughs> We're going to start things off a little bit pedigree glum. Um, my, sorry. I had to, I had to. My my pick is 1983's unofficial Beethoven sequel and the adaptation <laughs> to Stephen King's kind of alcohol-fueled delirium novella um, of the same name, uh, of course, talking about uh, 1983's? Yeah, 1983's Lewis Teague's Cujo, mm. um, which I absolutely adore. I think it's one of the like just basically scary horror films from the 80s. I think it's probably the scariest out of any of our picks um, or any kind of killer animal movie out there. And as far as King goes, because um, I love love Stephen King's books, love Stephen King adaptations, this is a pretty faithful one. Um, unlike many, many of like the films that have come from his works, this sticks to the book 
pretty much rigidly, apart from like a big switcheroo ending and um, some weirdo detours, like a, a whole page dedicated to semen spreading. Um, that's not in the film, sadly, but the film's still good. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely love Cujo um, just because it's so straightforward, it's primal, it's realistic, it's survivalism kind of at its most visceral form. Mm. Uh, I guess I should say what Cujo is about for those of you that aren't aware, because it's pretty simple. Like I said, it's a really straightforward story. A suburban housewife um, called Donna, who's played by Dee Wallace as well, like perennial 80s horror favorite, um, whose marriage is on the rocks um, when her husband learns about an affair she's been having with her childhood sweetheart. And he goes away on business to think about his marriage or something. And Donna's left at home with her not at all annoying son, Tad. Um, and they drive their family car to a local mechanic's house. Uh, in kind of the heat of the summer, um, who just so happens to own a beautiful St. Bernard that earlier on in the film was a very, very naughty boy and chased a rabbit into a cave and got bitten by a rabid dog. And Cujo attacks Donna and Tad in their car and uh, they're forced to take shelter and kind of seal up in the car, uh, which just so happens to be a heat trap. And what transpires is a fight for survival against this hulking rabid dog and the crushing heat and threat of sunstroke. Um, that's pretty much like the whole film, really. It mm -hmm. is effective. It's effectively like um, a late '80s slasher ripoff, but with a dog instead, because it's got a pretty like hefty kill count to it. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess the big thing with this film is the killer animal itself. It's the dog, and I think Cujo itself is properly shit you up, terrifying. Um, Cujo is himself himself goes from the way the quality of the work they do with the dog from going this big fluffy lovable St. Bernard at the start this absolutely blood soaked dripping pus covered thing by the end is absolutely top notch even though it does look like they dyed the dog yellow at one point which <laughs> he's from an alcoholic family it might be jaundiced don't judge the dog on its habits and also don't presume its pronouns Chris um I was just going to say, I didn't want to bring it down to this level. I didn't think we'd get into the dog's physical look immediately. But there's a scene where I think Kujo looks like he's just come from an all-you-can-eat-cum buffet. You know, where he's got all that white shit dripping off his mouth. I'm like, hmm, interesting. It'd be, a, it'd be a much less threatening disease if they called it cum face. Sorry, your dog's got cum face. <laughs> you know what, though? However Cujo is looking, would absolutely die for that dog at any point. I don't give a shit. I don't care that it's rabid. Cujo is adorable. And it's not his fault. It's a fucking bat that's come along fucking up everything again. I mean, I don't want to talk about the situation we're in right now because of fucking bats. That's all I'm saying, right? He's a shitty little bat. It's heartbreaking, isn't it, when he bakes his nose? It's horrible. Yes. Yes, but Cujo was going to murder an innocent bunny. He's but not he an innocent dog. He, no, you don't know who's going to murder him. No, he might have just been chasing him to play. He was just playing. He wasn't rabid then. There was no aggression in that dog. Which is which. Uh, actually, a really really funny aside. There's some there's some like goofs in this film. So obviously they used real dogs for the majority of it, uh, which is really cool. And I think lends to how scary it is a lot of the time. Mm. It's pretty much the yes, yeah, the only film we're going to talk about today that has like the real killer animal as the killer animal. Um, for the, we'll, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. Um, but 
also they did use like a dog puppet and a person in a hu- in like a dog suit a human in a dog suit that is an incredible behind the scenes photo that i will put up i'll send to you guys you can put up on the social media because it's so so, so funny it's like that have you ever seen that advert the japanese advert of the dog that walks on its hind legs no it's like selling yogurt or something it's like yogo dog is brilliant um but no <laughs> Uh, to like to get the dogs to attack the car and be rabid they would play with it and get it all like hyper and they'd have toys that they just off camera so it could like charge at them and in a couple of the shots you can um see Cujo's tail like wagging furiously um, and he's like clearly just such an excited little boy uh, and, and I think like I think I read somewhere as well that for a lot of the shots they had to like tape his tail down to his leg so he didn't look so happy and excitable Aww. which is just yeah it's testament he's a good doggo what, what, see, not love. that's clearly coming through because like I said I, I found that dog nothing but adorable throughout even covered in cum or not covered in gum. I tell you, it does look brutal though when he's fucking ramming the door with his head. Like, yeah, I don't no, think obviously no, that's not good. <laughs> Just chuck a Saint Bernard at a Pinto. It's fine. <laughs> Claim that on the insurance. I'm not down for that. I'm not down for that. No. Um, I was just going to say, I think the first jump scare that you get from Cujo when they're um, Donna and Tad are in the car and he kind of erupts up the passenger side door at the window mm. is absolutely terrifying. I think it's one of the best, like, almost underappreciated jump scares there is in horror. Um, I remember this film from when I was younger. I used to watch it a lot, but I didn't... I, there were parts of it that I couldn't remember when I was watching it the other day. And I think I, I might have said this before, but... It, it seems to bring back this memory of when me and my mom were attacked by these two little yappy dogs. So it kind of it kind of stirs something, and you go, "Oh, that's a bit, that's a bit worrying to watch." That that's bringing back some kind of repressed memory that I don't want to fucking know about, sort of thing. And they were only little yappy dogs; they weren't vicious. I should say this, but it was still terrifying when I was like year big. Mm. I did, what I sound so deep today, don't I? I feel like I'm <laughs> sound like Cujo because he's got a. <laughs> got a bark on him i think yeah it, no it totally is like you can understand why postmen are so like shit up by dogs um, and i think it's one of the reasons why this film is so scary is because it does have a relatability to it like because we all we all know someone that's got a dog we've probably all encountered like uh, an angry or a barky dog at some point like even if it wasn't trapping us in a car everyone's had like a, a dog bark at them or come for them or something and i think that's what's probably so scary about it is it's not it's not uh, like a massive killer shark in Jaws or or like um, like a, a, I don't know a mutant tiger. It's something that's really relatable. And we encounter every day, and it could happen. I feel like that was a dish with a mutant tiger, and I was that close to going burning bright for this episode, but I didn't. Um, with your pick and with one of the others, you're right. It is the scary thing about it is that it could happen. It's very, very real that something like that could happen. And the thing with Cujo as well is it's hard to pick fault with it. I mean, aside from a slow-ass first half, if you ask me, I know it's setting up character and all that kind of jazz, but it's so long and I'm like, we we don't even see any dog action till like about 25 25 minutes, half an hour in. That sounded disgusting. I didn't mean it like that, Mercer. I see you laughing. Especially with what we've attributed to poor Cujo's face already. Like, <laughs> you're such a wrong one. I just want to back you up on that first half statement as well. I, I found the first half a bit of a struggle. And I also felt like a lot of the kind of story arcs that are in there, I just 
felt like they didn't I just didn't understand them all like like I don't understand the whole concept of doing this affair story line which I just don't think leads to anything really in my opinion I was just a bit like I don't see the point of it well Chris was saying uh, because Chris has actually read the book I've not read the book that apparently that's not in there and this is literally just all filler. This is padding it out because it's quite, like Carrie is, it's quite a short, would you call it a novella? Is that what you'd call it? Yeah, it's not It's not a long book. I, I think the Jaws, I think the affair reference is in there for Jaws, which we've not included in our list of films. Because as I, as I was saying to you, Faye, they've, they've clearly gone, Cujo is a killing machine like the shark in Jaws is. And everyone knows in the, original Jaws novel, which Dreyfus's character is shagging Brody's wife. Therefore, Jaws is actually about infidelity rather than actually about a giant shark, which is why he pays the price. And so they've just literally lifted that and go, right, well, she needs to be trapped in this car and suffering for some reason. We'll take it from Jaws. That's what we'll do. That's that's a really, really good reference point. I hadn't clicked that at all. I don't think when I think about Jaws, I ever think about infidelity. But a lot of people do pick up on like Cujo as being this morality tale. So basically, like cheating wife gets punished for having an affair um, by God or or whatever. But I think the affair is really really interesting and does pay off in the second act. And I'm going to say why. I'm going to say it's two things for two reasons. Okay, one, I would say it can be quite empowering in a way. So Dee Wallace, who's portrayed as like really inherently feminine, she's very, very like small weak frame fluty voice she's initially just this she is just a mother and an adulteress really um but then becomes this like primitive warrior that will stop at nothing to save her child um and it's, it's almost like that god creates saint bernard's god destroys saint bernard's god creates man man destroys god man creates saint bernard's that old St. Bernard's Eat Man, Woman Inherit the Earth. It's basically <laughs> that in film form. So it's it, it, it does empower her in that way that she her she goes from just being the mother to being this this like hero, heroine character. Um, and I think that the affair is like a, a window into that in that is, she is shown as being like the bad person in some way. But hey, the, the sorry. Go on, carry on, sorry. Oh no, no, I've got a whole other second idea about the affair. I was just gonna say it's quite it's quite unfair on her, the affair, I think, because I know she's obviously involved in this infidelity. But the way he treats her, it's just disgusting. To say that he's a side bit is horrible. Mm. Like no, but it isn't it. You'd expect that kind of behavior from the husband that would drive <laughs> her to have an listen, hear my point, that would drive her to have an affair. You think if there was going to be any reason to do that, it would be that coming from somewhere else, but it doesn't. She's going to this relationship independent of a husband, and he's treating her like crap. And I just think it's kind of harsh on her. But it just going back to what I was going to say earlier, like I say, it, it's hard to pick fault with Cujo because every decision that D. Wallace makes is logical. Mm-hmm. She doesn't do stupid stuff. I don't think she does stupid stuff. She's in a situation where she's trying to help a son. So she's thinking about the best thing for him, but she doesn't want to leave him at the same time. So she's re- she's only getting out of the car when she needs to. There's not really kind of any heroics involved in it at all, unless it's absolutely necessary. Could you not say that's the exact same thing she's trying to do 
with her family. So obviously this is like set in the 80s. I think the book is actually set in the 70s. I don't know where the film was set. Um, but you've got this stereotypical nuclear um, American family. Um, and she's obviously wanting to do the best things for her son against saving it against a killer dog, obviously. But also she wants the son to have an upbringing. So even though she's in a loveless marriage, she's keeping up the edifice of it. And this is something that always comes out in kind of like... Um, infidelity or adultery rhetoric it's like oh I didn't want to ruin my family but I was so unhappy so I lived a lie do you know what I mean mm. um so is, is she not just doing the exact same thing for her son by um trying to stay in that loveless marriage yeah absolutely yeah. well there's that another thing though just just to top off the adultery thing because I do think it's a big criticism of the film but I think it actually plays into what I've said about it being so like realistic and nihilistic in a way um but the affair like runs the dramatic vein of the start of the film. And yeah, for some people that is pretty boring or, or is kind of like um, misogynistic, I guess you could say as well. Um, it creates the tension between like the main characters, um, but then everything is totally sidelined for this killer dog. And it's this survival story, okay? So in most survival horror and most horror, like the horror bit, so like the shark in Jaws or the chairlift in Frozen, or the traps in Saw, they're like the worst part of that person's life. It's like the hardest thing they're ever gonna have to go through. And once they do go through it, everything's all hunky-dory and you get a happy ending for the most part. But in Cujo, the final shot, which is Donna and Tad kind of coming out of the house covered in blood um, and the and her husband pulling up and they've just survived this killer dog and like Vic stood there and you get this close up on Donna's eyes and you, I think anyway, you realise, well, no, everything's not hunky-dory because reality and the stresses of normal life just begins again and resumes and comes crashing down on them. And it's just like, if your normal life was shit before this big defining crisis, whether it is a killer dog or whatever, it doesn't matter if you overcome it, that shit's still waiting for you. And that inevitability, I think is such like a crushing nihilistic ending. Um, I, I like, I really, really like it. And I think, I think it pays off in that way. You can see it as empowering or really, really horrible. And also the rabies that she's bound to now have. <laughs> and the rabies, yeah. <laughs> Cause right, I mean, she got bit like about five times and I kept saying to Chris, would you get rabies from this? Like, would a human be able to contract it? Is this going to like start kicking in? Start? So I don't know much about how fast it progresses, but I'm guessing that, you know, she's been in that car at night. It's got to have taken some effect. So maybe she's going to, I don't know, kill her husband. But she can get a jab for rabies. She can't get a jab for a shitty husband. The husband's not necessarily that shitty though, to be fair. He's just work focused. He tried, I think the husband shows willing and trying. And he still, even after she cheats on him, he still does everything he can to, like, he goes on his business trip to save his business, which ultimately yeah. is to, to provide for his family. And then he still comes running back when he thinks there's a problem to, to rescue, or I said rescue, probably not the right word, but, you know, he comes back to make sure that everything's all right with his wife and his child. Yeah. I don't really think he is a shitty husband. I just think she... As I think they just hit a rut where, you know, I think that dinner scene kind of encapsulates it when he's like, oh, look, we've got nothing to talk about anymore. Um, basically because they've just hit a plateau in the relationship. But I don't think he's shitter. I think she's a bit shitter for having was... the affair. But I will say a couple of things that I think I need to get out before anyone ends this conversation is I watched this film and... There were points when I wished I was being attacked by Cujo because I could not feel that a little kid 
fucking screaming constantly. It was driving me mental. Legit, legitimately, I was just like, like, I wrote down several times, shut the fuck up. I like but, him, that kid. I think he's brilliant. No. Mercer, what do you think of the kid in the Babadook, just as an aside? <laughs> I fucking hate <laughs> He also screams a lot. I, I think he it's does. screaming children. I think just put a pillar over the face and it's fine. Um, also, wow. throughout the film, and I don't know why this was in my head, but all I kept thinking was, do you know what? I could really see this being remade with Will Ferrell and Jenna Elfman as the parents. <laughs> and that's it. That was really important to me. And I watched that film thinking, oh, Will Ferrell would do this good. Is this just because you've been watching a lot of The Office? Because that's how it's coming across. Because aside from the curly hair in The Father, I'm not sure where Will Ferrell would come into this. Will Ferrell's serious roles uh, very much like that character. So... Uh, right, Your Honour, um, to respond to the defendants vis-a-vis point one, um, I, I do not think that is the case at all, and I do think Tad is incredibly effective in showing how hysterically frustrated Donna is to be in the car. In the exact same way in The Babadook, she's in this pressure cooker situation. She, it, it, he is necessary to ramp up the stakes there. Um, and it's also absolutely gutting when he dies in inverted commas. Um, and point two, I would like to respond by saying Will Ferrell should not be in any film or remake um, and uh, therefore my closing statement for Cujo would be that I just think it's one of the most incredibly tense, uh, claustrophobic, terrifying, visceral um, killer animal movies there is out there. And like I've said, it's relatability uh, makes it incredibly uh, horrific within the home setting. So yeah, vote Cujo. On to my choice next. Um, like Cujo, this is a pick that could happen does happen every day in some parts of the world. Thankfully not in Britain, though I can't be sure. There are poisonous ones. Uh, my choice is 1990s arachnophobia. <gasps> yes! Gasping, shock, um, fucking terrifier of a film. Makes me physically uncomfortable. I want to be sick watching it. And this is why I picked it, because the, few other films stir this in me and make me feel this bad. Uh, basic premise is they are, there are some scientists somewhere out in the world hunting a new species of spider. Uh, the spider, you know, wanting to get away after the pressures of living in the jungle for all of its life. Go, oh, fuck it, I'm going to hop in this box and go back to America and uh, spread my poisonous shit all over the USA. And that it does. Uh, ends up in the farmhouse of Jeff Daniels or Harry from Dumb and Dumber is his best role, obviously. And he is definitely afraid of spiders and it just all kicks off from there. There's nothing really much more to say about it. There's not really much more to say about how fucking awful this film is. Like, am, am I wrong, guys? No, most of my, most of my notes on this film are fuck this or fuck that or kill all the spiders essentially this boils down to yeah i spent a lot of time doing the classic neck into shoulders every time they were like scuttling across scream or i think i've just put specifically i cannot cut with these motherfucking jumping spiders 
Fighters that jump should be illegal. They're, they're the kind of things that need wiping off the planet when it jumps. It jumps at them and I screeched. Are no. we talking about the shower spider? Any spider um, in the film. Any fucking spider in the film. There's the, the, the scene where they go into, um, oh, who is it? It was just at Mark's house, I think. Mm-hmm. And they find the spider bite and then they're looking for a spider and they find a dead one in cereal, vile. That's a little fucking head moment. Um, and then there's one on wall and he goes to catch it and it jumps and mm-hmm. Bill Pullman stood terrified, doing what I actually think. What I like about this film, just changing the subject but not, is that the person that we've got who's a feared of the spiders is Bull, is, is the male lead. Uh, and typically, you know, we, we tend to put females in these kind of roles as, as the as a victim or the person who's, who's scared, who needs the protection or help. And I like the fact that it kind of flips that because it's like a 90s film, you know? Mm. What men in the 90s are going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm afraid of spiders. Like, at that time, we're like, I'm sure men were supposed to be like, butch, like, protection. But the reality is, pretty much most men I know, who their pants at them devils that run at you. I can back this up because when Chris and I first moved in together, I had to be the one who lessened my fear of spiders to try and deal with them should anything happen because Chris couldn't. So, I, you know, men, be afraid of spiders as much as you want. Don't put on a match your face. These things are fucking terrifying. It's the way they run. It's oh. nothing, with that, nothing with that many legs should be able to move that smoothly. <laughs> they should, if they were just falling over, I'd have less fear of them. <laughs> I think that might be worse, a spider, like, drunkenly staggering at you. Like, pulling a knife. Yeah, it doesn't give a shit when it's drunk, does it? It's like, you don't even realise what it's doing. Um, like you said about Cujo being relatable, I, I find this quite relatable because, because of that fear of spiders I've got. But also, just with spiders and the way they move, one thing that I've always found about spiders in my little world is they know you're, you're scared... So, like, everyone says, the spider's just as scared as you. No, bullshit. Them spiders will stop, stare you square on in the face, and as I describe it, they seductively, kind of slowly move at you. Know it, like, you'll step back and they'll be like, oh, no, 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 I'm a-coming. And then they run. And when they run, I think you're fucked, because they're coming for you. They're not running away from you. Scared of me, my ass. I, I, I can personally confirm that Mercer has believed for 20 years or more now that spiders are trying to seduce him. He has always said that spiders act sexy around him. <laughs> They've got eight come to bed with me eyes. <laughs> I know we're off film, but two, two spider stories, and this is why I hate this film, and it's difficult to watch. So first of all, my first spider story was I lived in this house and I had this lovely car and there was this massive spider on the floor. So I ate it with a shoe and it got back up. So I ate it again and it got back up and I set my cat on it and it, my cat ran away from it in fear and I was just left with this giant undead spider. Because it had tiny knives. It, like, it flattened. And then the second story, my, my worst story, is waking up to a spider having a little disco dance on my belly. <laughs> my naked belly. It was just running around my belly button. I just woke up, looked down and just saw this Devil of a creature just dancing on my belly, and it could was have, terrifying. Could and have it, been worse. So much. 
You could have found it in the disco balls. <laughs> it would probably build in a weapon on your belly button so you could have a little trampoline. I don't know why, but I honestly thought you were going to say, you don't have to stop preempting what you're going to say. I honestly thought you were going to say, it just probably thought we're climbing a mountain, you know, with my belly being as big as it is. Are we saying it just set up base camp? <laughs> just, it just... But back to the film, you said, Mitch, earlier about Kujo being probably the most terrifying film from this mm. selection. You're this. wrong. This bad boy, and it's only a fucking PG or something. Well, it's, this down, bad it's down as a horror comedy, mate. A homer, a, well, a, homer, a horror comedy. Well, we know where the comedy comes from, don't we? Yeah, John Goodman. that's it. John Goodman. It's amazing in this film. I know, I know. He is great. And he's not even in it for that long. He's probably genuinely only on screen for about 10 minutes, tops. But yeah, it's it's a terrifying film. It's hard, it's hard to put into words exactly how I feel about it because like I say, when I was watching it, I, I just wanted to vomit. I felt sick all the time. Like when they're in the bathroom and... You, the spiders are going up the wall and I can clearly see the spiders are going up the wall but my brain's going, the spiders are going up the wall and I have to scream that to get it out because apparently there isn't enough panic in that scene without me shouting it as well <coughs> The shower scene is the worst in my opinion because you know when you said about it jumping, that's the first thing that comes to mind is when it's, when it's like just going along because for some reason I expected them to come out the drain. You know when you get into that mindset, like because the one thing that's great about this film is they li- it's like the writers sat down in a room and they're like, where can we put spiders everywhere? And they're like, we'll put a spider in a sleeping bag and in a coffin, and we'll put it in the popcorn, and we'll put it on a lampshade, we'll put it on a treadmill. <laughs> it's like it's fucking mental. It's like every single facet in a household that you could put a spider on, they put it on. But the shower is the worst one for for me anyway because. For me, when you like you like Merce said, you wait you, when you when you've got a spider on you, you can feel it. So like mm-hmm. I've I've woke up when camping before and there's been a spider in the sleeping yeah. bag. And it mm-hmm. is you you feel it and you immediately go, Oh, that spider, get it off, get it off. Or have you ever if you ever felt it in your shoes? You know, you've got like a little like rock or something in your shoe, and you're like, you convince yourself in your head there's a fucking spider and it's just trying to get out or trying to go in your fucking shoe or in your foot. But the shower, you can't feel a spider because you've got water all over you. So there might be thousand spiders on you. You don't know because you're covered in water and soapy stuff. But when this spider's like doing along the edge and you and you think it's just going to like crawl because it keeps focusing on the shower head. I keep thinking the spider's going to crawl around and come down the shower head. And then it just stops and fucking evil Knievels it over onto her chest. I hate it so much because it does. It just, that you can't see it's going to jump. It just goes. Ah! One of the worst things about that scene as well is they, they actually put noises to it on the shower rail. So it's as if he's got tiny little shoes and he's going. And you can hear his feet on the fucking shower rail, which, by the way, in case you didn't know, if this helps you like spiders anymore, which it did me a little bit, spiders have paws. They have tiny little furry paws, which, when you look at them close up, are the cutest fucking thing. Still evil. I thought you said pores, like like a pores. weird. Yeah, I thought you said like oh, like big pores, like a Neutrogena advert. Like no. think about the spiders. Come on, like they might be scary, but they have pores too. Um, yeah. Just following <laughs> on from shower spider, I actually have a spider story of myself, which involves a shower, bizarrely enough. So um, back when I used to live with my parents, they had the shower above the bath, so it was quite you know you had to step in and out of it, sort of thing. 
and um, there was a spider in the corner and I clocked it and I was getting ready for work. I'm like, I can't jump out and get it because I've not got time. I've got to be at work. So I'm like, okay, no worries. So I'm just washing my hair and keeping my fucking eye on it the whole time. Like not closing my eyes, just like, don't you fucking move, you fucking dare. Washing my hair. That little fucker swung at me (laughs) on its web. It went right to my face. I fell out of the bath. I bruised my legs. It's a good job I didn't crack my head open or had a hot cup of tea in my hand. Speaking about realism, okay, since this is just basically group therapy at this stage, yeah. we're all just sharing five stories. <laughs> um, you mentioned about them adding like the foley of its feet on the shower curtain, yeah. which they, prob- they probably like recorded some like 30 year old bloke walking across bubble wrap to get that, right? But, 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 but it is realistic. So my spider story doesn't even fully contain a spider. When I was um, like younger, uh, this was probably like 13 14 um i was fucking disgusting and my bedroom was just vile and it was just covered in paper because i used to do like lots of drawing or like just writing on paper so i just leave them all over my room and paper when you leave it out in the sun goes like really stiff and crinkly it gets like really yellowy um so i had just old paper like underneath my bed and spilling out kind of all over the floor and i woke up one night and it was like silent in my room, obviously it's the middle of the night. And all I could hear is just like, I don't, you can't hear that probably, but like <laughs> little, little tiny footsteps, like where obviously it was this, it was presumably a tiny spider, but in my head it was fucking massive. But because it was crawling over like this crepe paper, like really crinkly, it was basically like stomping through a megaphone. It was, <laughs> oh, it was horrible. And you know, when you're just like, I'm just going to scrunch up my eyes and pretend it's not there. And all I can hear is like, I'm not doing it justice. It was fucking horrible. So spiders do make noise. Nice little fuckers. I think we've done uh, wonders for your film choice, EFA, by not talking about it pretty much at all. To bring it back to your film, um, I do enjoy, even though I hate, so this is one of the films, I hate this film, but not because I hate the film, but because I don't like feeling uncomfortable. This and deep water films, my my, the the they're not good for me. This, however, because the usual spiders makes it even worse, and there's an awful scenes with them pulsating spider egg sacs. Mm. But I was to eat, like I started eating when I watched it, and I had to stop, and I've never had to stop them. I've watched like, you know, I watched raw eating food i've watched i've watched like some fucking sick shit yeah while dipping into you know like puss exploding and i'm dipping into egg yolk going oh nom nom a fucking spider sack and i'm like oh god i couldn't eat i had to stop the film i'm like this is a terrible terrible like film for anybody who doesn't like spiders or anybody who does it's horrible it's vile I do feel like I have to prepare myself going into this film to watch it because I can't, I had to watch it in the day. I couldn't watch it at night because for the past two times that I've watched it, it's been at night and I've had nightmares about spiders and I've woke up convinced that this spider's right in front of me. So I I couldn't watch it at night. I had to do it in the day. And even then it would be for work and the tenseness I felt after watching it, like I felt physically drained afterwards because I just like allowed my body to relax after Oh God, it's disgusting. It's so disgusting. And the thing is, you know, these spiders are hiding in places that 
they would naturally hide in and you would naturally find them like in lampshades of food and shit like that. And I think because you've got it in your head that this is a real possibility for it to happen, that's why it makes it so much more worse. Do you know what I love as well? It never gets stupid. Like, even though it's goofy and it is fun, no matter how, like, skin-crawling it is, it never gets ridiculous in its third act. Like, it could quite easily have, like... I know it has a big spider at the end, right? Bigger than yeah. most But it's not massive. But so, it's not ma- It's still, it's for most shots, it still is a real bird-eating, Goliath bird-eating spider. So it's a real spider for most of it. But it could have gone like a six foot, like we've all seen basically every other spider film apart Eight-legged from Eight-legged freaks, let's eight say. Eight-legged freaks, yeah. itsy-bitsy, all of them, all the sci-fi films, they always go big. Like whether it's six feet or 64 foot, they always go big. They could either do that or they could have like a fucking tidal wave of small spiders, like spiders mm. everywhere. Um, like like it happens in Squirm, like, cause a worm can't be that scary. So we'll have like thousands of worms, <laughs> right? They could have done that with spiders, but they don't cause they know what they've got is good and they know it's gonna cause an effect. And like fair- off the back of that, I would say it's, it's the best spider film there is. To be fair, we do have a lot of spiders in that final act when they're getting out of the house. They are everywhere. And Jeff Daniels nail getting a flaming spider through the air into a spider sack is not something you'd expect to normally occur on a day-to-day basis. I mean, that is a one in a million shot, let's not lie. The possibility of that happening is very, very slim. I do find sometimes that especially like the one that escapes from the jungle and comes to America, it does tend to have this kind of Bella Lugosi, creepy villain kind of vibe about it. So you'll just see it where its legs are just going, <laughs> just going into the coffin. <laughs> so you actually see it, it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's hidden, it's veiled. Yeah. And all you have is legs going. <laughs> but it's coming out through the cat flap at the mortuary. Yeah, and it goes like... <laughs> But I think that's because, like, I, I've not actually looked into the making of this one, but I think for those shots, it literally was, like, a bloke's hand with some spider fingers on the end of his hand going, Yeah. Oh. I mean, it does a good job. I still like it. It's, it still creeps me out, even just seeing the tiny legs. Yeah. But, uh, tiny legs. But, but um, you, like, you touched on it, Chris. I love, like, at the end, they're like, you find, you find spiders scary. What about a spider on fire? <laughs> <laughs> way to make a spider more scary that it's going to burn down your fucking house as well oh, oh god I hate that bit as well where he walks into the cobweb and he gets it all up in his face mm-hmm. and he's freaking out to be fair Jeff Daniels does a really good fucking freak out on that scene like I'd be doing that I'd be crying so at least he weren't crying Um, just the ending um, that is a bit unsatisfactory but not is they kind of just present it that oh we've we've resolved this spider problem now, but we all know that not every motherfucking one of them bastard spiders went to the house. They've scuttled off into town as well. Remember, so I know for a fight, just like everybody else does, them spiders are everywhere. And what they should have done in that instead of having that fucking earthquake, they should have just done a quick pan up to corner at room and had one at mother little licking dirty spiders, like, staring down at them, like, yeah, bitches. Come what, to Avengers and Mobs. Just with his eyes shifting from side to side and cutting the <laughs> tight frame. Yeah, yeah. Or just, like, swinging slowly down on its web with its little knife in hand as be we've decided to take Harrow. To be fair, with the, with the resolution, I think the fact that, as I say, you got all those worker spiders, essentially, and then that one 
that one actual general or parent spider. So the fact that one's dead, you can have a li- you can have get away with letting these other ones, although poisonous, then if they're not breeding, you can go, okay, yeah, we'll just leave that. It's fine. Could we call the Queen Spid? Because I like the idea of being Queen Spid. Queen Spid. You like yeah. Queen Bee, but Queen Spid. I do, I do like the fact that as well they get to they get they get to the end of it and they just as you say they're back in San Francisco, they're like Countryside's a bit shit, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that's it, we're off. <laughs> they don't show the fucking hours of therapy he needs after being stalked by a million spiders. It is kind of... The ending is a bit weird, I find. Like, just... They, you see the family completely move house, and then there's like... And I was waiting for that sequel-baiting final shot. You're waiting to literally just see, like, a little spider on the edge. It's kind of, it's strange you don't get it. And it's strange there's never been a sequel to this. I find that really odd. Like it's yeah. right, especially in the nineties, but yeah. I did actually say after as well, I could have sworn there was an arachnophobia too, but clearly that was just me living out some sort of sick, depraved fantasy. Cause no, there wasn't. To sum up, arachnophobia is fucking amazing. I mean, it is. And there's just no denying that, you know, it's not the best made film. It's, it's very dated. It's very nineties. <laughs> But in terms of shit your pants scary, this film ticks all the fucking boxes and that is why you should vote for it as best animal horror. Right then, we'll move on to my choice, which I think some people might say um, is, I'm going to use the term controversial, uh, (laughs) but in the sense of, (laughs) I think they might think the choice is controversial because they might question how it fits into animal horror, but I'm going to stand by it because it does. I got you back. I got your back in it. Um, I'm going for um, it, the second Stephen King entry into this episode, except this was just written by Stephen King. And it's the 1992 fabulous Sleepwalkers. Woo! Yes. Let's cheer. Woo! I'm winning! Uh, just to go off, just to go off the Stephen King thing as well. Like mine was Stephen King, like at his like highest alcohol addiction. Like he says, like he don't remember right in Cujo at all. Um, yours was King, like at his peak cocaine king. Like he's strung <laughs> out of fuck in this. That makes a <laughs> lot of sense. It does, yeah. <laughs> well, for those who foolishly haven't seen the film, um, basically it's the story of mother and son. Uh, Charles and Mary. Mary is excellently played by Alice Creek. I've just got to say that I'm obsessed with her in this film. Um, and Brian Krause, he does a good job. Um, basically, they are from a line of ancient cat demon type things. Felines. Feline demon type things that need to feed on the souls of the innocent virgins, female virgins only as well with the looks of it. Um they live their life having to move from town to town because, you know, um, they're, even though they're thin like creatures, they're stalked and attacked by cats who really don't like them for some reason. Um, and they're just trying to live their life, you know. They just want to get by. They're just part of this natural order. In the food chain, they're above us. It's just natural. It's normal. Um, and they move to a new town um, and start kind of the um, the same journey that they do, looking for a nice fresh soul to take. Um, and they pick Tanya, or Brian, uh, Charles picks Tanya, a lovely, lovely young lady from Twin Peaks, um, Manchinamic, 
Um, but in this film, she's not from Twin Peaks. She's just from where they are. Um, and she's not a girl from Twin Peaks. But yeah, she's she's a lovely girl. She's very innocent. She's very sweet. And um, yeah, it's basically just them trying to feed off her. And then it goes wrong. And then it goes a little bit batshit crazy. So, yes. A little bit. Just a little. You were, you were saying, Mitch, that this is obviously like, you know, peak cocaine king. And you know that you know that scene in Family Guy where the he turns up and he goes, What have you got for me? He's like, a lamp monster. Rah, rah. So basically this is King going, What about if we had feline demons but with incest? <laughs> he went, Yeah, that's the way to go. That's the fucking that's the badger. I'm about, I'm about to say you say he go it goes it goes off the road and goes batshit crazy. It starts we yeah, we got Cole from Charm shagging his mum within about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> literally, and this is true, within the first 10 minutes of the movie, we have cat genocide, we have a mummified teenage girl, we have self-mutilation, and we have incest. And that's in the first 10 minutes. So you know this is a fucking trip, don't you? This is a ride, this film. It don't give a shit. It doesn't. Go, te- go 10 minutes later and you've got a paedophile teacher. But I think this is what's so like enjoyable about the film for me. It's just like balls to the wall. It's just like, like you said, King's on coke and he's gone, fuck it, what can we do? And how can we push some boundaries at the time? And to throw incest in there, which is a very taboo subject. And then also, like you said, to have the teacher who's going to try and blackmail the male student for sexual gratification. And they even though they don't clearly say that's what's going to happen, that hand slide down um, before he gets it ripped off is definitely a crotch grab, and we mm-hmm. all know it. Um, also, sorry, I was just going to say before while we while we speak about Glenn Shaddix, my favourite scene is the with him is in the classroom when he says, "Surely a box has six sides." And then it pans to later that day, and he's standing staring out the window as if it's some deep philosophical content he's trying to comprehend still. And the best part is, I've put later on, is he really that pissed off about being questioned, corrected, that he's investigated Charles's entire background because he said, a cube has six sides, or a box has six sides. You're like, teacher, chill the fuck out. I'm sure there's probably more going on in the book than what's been shown in the film because there's that much shit to fucking ram in the film. It probably just didn't make it. I don't believe this is a book. So, um, I'm not really sure. I just know it was written by. It doesn't. It doesn't say it was based on a book, from what I can see. But anyway, um, even if it were that that teacher literally took that comment a little bit too far and ran with it. Mm. We haven't even spoken about vegetables yet. I mean, we've spoken about some crazy shit in this film, but we haven't gotten to corn on the cob. Cob kebab! <laughs> I mean, there's a cop kebab, which is the, the amazing line when he stabs him with a pencil, I think. And then there's also, it's not a line, but a cob kebab, like a corn on the cob kebab, because she fucking stabs him with a corn on the mm-hmm. cob. It's brilliant, brilliant. This film is so quotable as well. Yeah. Like cop kebab's great, and then like when um, when Tanya um, stabs stabs him in the after he gets a bit rapey with her, and he's like, oh oh, look at this shirt! My mom's gonna be so mad. <laughs> it's, it's so good. 
that seems really bizarre, actually, um, in my opinion, because we've got him, we've got this kind of light-hearted music playing. I don't know if you remember it very well, but I it's do. a bit like tinky kind of music playing over the top of him trying to like rape and stuff their soul art. And then he's like giving these quippy one-liners, but she's literally playing the entire scene straight. Straight. And it's really kind of, it's it, like this odd like juxtaposition of like, I don't know what I'm supposed to feel while I'm watching this. Am I supposed to laugh at him making his puns? Am I supposed to be like, you bastard, leave my chair alone. Maybe like, Maybe they're trying to. Maybe they're trying to convey that for her it's terrifying, whereas for him it's just another day at the office, another kill, and no big deal. Which leads me to my big philosophical point in this film, <laughs> you know, because it's a serious film. Um, which is like, who is the bad guy in this film, really? Because these literally are just people living their life the way they are, and like I said. <laughs> We're just no, but we're just like one rung down below them on the the kind of food chain. Whereas you know they could just film us going to uh fucking butchers or whatever or an abattoir and slaughtering a pig, and it'd be like the same thing. We're killing them for substance to eat. I mean, I, I would say I would say feline demons definitely the bad guy, but maybe this is why the cats don't like them. Maybe the cats have cottoned on now that they've got this cushy life and that they're getting fed and they don't have to go out and hunt and stuff like that. And like, fuck, guys, you're ruining it for us. We've fucking got it cushy here. But cats do go out and hunt. Yeah, like, but cats- most of the time they go back to some kitty cat. Let's not lie. They're fucking pampered now, cats. They've got too much privilege. Cats commit incest. I can't right? make that feel like it is. <laughs> I feel like it is. Like, if you've got a brother and sister cat and, like, who forgets in heat, I reckon brother's not going to be like, oh, I'm a brother and sister. I think he's just going to be like, yeah, let's do it with cats. It doesn't matter. No one cares. Genetically, I don't think we'll get mutated children. Plus, we're probably mutated anyway from... We do interbreed cats. Of course we do. That's how we get pedigree cats. But anyway, like, for me, I I just find, like, the, the concept of the film, like, a bit more deep than it than it comes across on screen, you know. It is it's it's batshit. There's no denying it's batshit. And you know, I've oh god, I've been watching this film for years, and like you say, it's well quotable. That cop, I love the cop. What a motherfucker is after the rodeo. And I love that he's got like this little relationship with his cat. Bless it. What's the cat called? Clovis. Clovis, yeah. Oh, so adorable. Name on his badge it says Clovis the attack cat, yes. and by that cat fucking slays. It does, however, lead to one of the funniest scenes in the film for me. Ooh. I find it hilarious when they're driving past and Clovis looks out of the window at him, and his face changes from cat to demon cat to his face to a baby back to demon cat. I'm like, that, why did you have to throw that baby face in there? There were no need for it. It was fine the way it was. I didn't need to see fucking toddler Joe make an appearance. It's hilarious, that scene. Come on. You know it is. You, you know sometimes in films where, like, the director really wants to put their kid in a film? 
Um, like they, they'll, they'll just have like their kid as an extra in the film. He's like, fuck, there's no room for, he's only two years old. How can I do it? I know. <laughs> Bipedal wear cat face morph, done. I mean, you know, aside from the comedy of that scene, I did the music in Sleepwalkers freaks me out a bit. Like I, I didn't know until um, I saw in the credits that it's actually Enya that does that fucking song. I had no idea. I was like, Enya. Yes, it's Odyssea. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. But, but, it, I, but I, that, that song weirds me out as well. The it proper creeps yeah. me out. It's it's I think I think the soundtrack's pretty pretty decent for this one. It is one of them like so that Enya song's been used in loads of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Most that. famously in a Fuji's ready or not. There you go. Mm-hmm. But I never it, whenever I hear that song, I automatically go sleepwalkers. Mm-hmm. Like that's where it takes me to. Um and I, I think that's a really good like the way apparently they only use that music because um it was just the best option that they got from Sona or something. Um, so good choice, because it really does resonate, I think, and just just it's got that like powerful embeds into your head, so that yeah, like I said, you hear it and you think sleepwalkers, which is a good thing. I, I tell you what, I don't fully understand, and it's not a bad thing because it's not a slight on the film. Because again, as we discussed prior to this recording, this is one of my favorite films of the picks, but the way that the mother is so hateful towards him but then so willing to protect him i feel like they've got this kind it feels like a kind of abusive relationship like i know she's pissed off at him because she wants to eat you know she's hungry that's what it is but she seems to have these like genuine like she gets jealous that he's going off with another girl and stuff like that and i know it's incestuous but you are still his mother and it just feels like sometimes she hates on him but then, like, when she sends him out and she's, like, screaming and shouting at him and then he comes back with a busted face and that's it, she's suddenly on attack. It just feels a bit... Uh, yeah. They've only had each other all their lives, though, haven't they? And I, I, I think, obviously, relationships get fraught. I don't think she hates him at all. I think, like you said, she's just so reliant on him. Mm. And when he's not giving her what she needs, she loses it. And she, she like the only person she can direct any kind of anger to is him. I absolutely, I said it before. I adore Alice Krieg in this film. I think I just she's a think villain. she's a villain. And the way she like, yes, she loses her shit at him. But when she goes to um, Tanya's house, like she kind of like doesn't even raise a voice hardly. She's just kind of like so calm and so cool. And she's like bashing mother, um, smashing father, stabbing someone in the back with fucking corner of the car. <laughs> but she doesn't like even break a sweat. It's just like so cool and collected. And it's just so mesmerizing watching her. And then when she's working at her house and she's just dragging her behind and all cops are coming up, it's just like, I don't give a shit, mate. I'm taking <laughs> I don't care. Um, she just doesn't care and she's so good and then when she gets into the house and she thinks her son's dead like she does a flip and it's like it's so weird like how she can compose herself but she scares me because she is like a genuine like serial killer that you watch you know like when you watch interviews with serial killers Mm. like I can see her being sat in one of these interviews being like yeah I killed him yeah 
that scene is gross where she makes a dance with him and he's like all that <laughs> fucked up cat face. Like, oh. the, fact he's, the fact he's dead is like the reviving power of dance. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Flatley is Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I love all the cats rushing to the house. I love like the cat, the cat army. What I want <laughs> is to see the outtakes where they've got them like on the bus and on the boat, and you got they're just travelling there. They're, trying, they're like nicking people's credit cards, little paws pressing keys to book t- train tickets. You got like on the road again, playing over the top of it. <laughs> I mean, it's not like this one town has all these millions of cats, is it? It's not possible. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, they, clear, like, they clearly come from somewhere. Yeah, it's like the Women's March the other week. Everyone goes to London. <laughs> All these cats go, like, defend my feline status. <laughs> did, you, did you just compare sleepwalkers to the Women's March for, you know, yeah. to totally. be safe yeah. To be safe. Yep. Just to be safe, yes. It's, but, it's, well, Comparison. Yeah, it's like the feline suffragette movement, totally. (laughs) But (laughs) with the cats, though, also there's some amazing foley work. I know we spoke about like the sound on both like Cujo and Arachnophobia. The cats are brilliant too. You know, when they're like attached to her and she's trying to fling them off. And I'm not entirely convinced that those aren't real cats in some of those shots as well. I hope not. They're very, they're very realistic, but like when she's flinging them off and when the cop like shotguns her, there's still a cat on her and the cat like jumps off. I don't think it gets shot, but it goes <laughs> so much. It's, it's so good. It's I mean, that, it sounds like that piece of music from Steps. Where he goes, Row. do you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know what you mean, but I love the reference. It's, like, it's, heart, it's heartbeat by Steps. There's like a bit in the middle, and it just goes. <laughs> Can you imagine if Steps? sampled sleepwalkers in their mix. Mate, if Fuji's have done it, I would not be surprised. It could fucking happen. Yeah. Oh, show. Also, this is a, another very important thing um, that I need to say just before, you know, I summarise. So Dead Charles, right? Am I the only one who thinks that Dead Charles looks like Donald Trump? <laughs> no! Look, look, hang on. Charles straight up looking like Donald Trump. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm so glad that you agree with that. And that like pretty much sums this film up. We've got a dead Donald Trump. <laughs> but no, in, in reality, I just think Sleepwalkers, yes, it does stray slightly from the conventional animal film because we are looking at mythological cat feline creatures but then we also have killer cats in there who kill them so technically the actual cats in the film are the killers of the feline creatures so that's that you know it brings the animal world together and alive hence why it works for this film i just think this film as as we pointed out it's quotable it's it's funny but it's crazy it throws everything you could possibly imagine at you pretty much straight away um, and then don't really let up it's got some wicked performances in um, and even like some of the and the, the makeup the prosthetics like well, like Alice, Alice Craig's 
like as as a demon, not full on demon, but half demon, looks like incredible. Like she could be on cover of Vogue or something. She looks that like she looks amazing. Um, it's just a really fun, out there, crazy, cooking fueled story, and um, I think it literally deserves it this week. So vote. Okay, so time for the last choice, the final choice, the best choice, indeed, because it's coming from my good self. And we're going to 1999 and the absolutely over-the-top brilliance of Rennie Harlan's Deep Blue Sea. I'll just wait for applause again. Yes, Mercer, thank you very much. I appreciate that. But anyone who hasn't seen Deep Blue Sea, I'm, I can stop... I can boil down the plot to about two sentences. Scientists genetically engineer sharks to cure Alzheimer's and super intelligent sharks attack them at isolated marine base. And that's all you need to know about the film. Good summary. That's it, yeah, that's, we're, we're done. That's, but that's why I love Deep Blue Sea. It's, it's not pretending to be anything clever or anything that isn't. It's one huge, massive stupid over-the-top blockbuster with killer sharks chasing people around a submerged base all the the classic staples of character there you got thomas jane as your troubled ex-con working on the base you got the saffron burrows as the scientist who's bending the rules to help mankind samuel L. jackson rocks up as and delivers another iconic Samuel L. Jackson speech, but I'm sure we'll get to that scene in a bit. And then, of course, we have LL Cool J kicking around as the token com- comedic sidekick in the film. I thought you were going to say as the token no, black no, chef. I was like, is no, that a token no, they don't. Not many <laughs> films have that. So he is his comedic fodder, and he does brilliantly at it. But as I say, this is something that's completely unabashedly over the top and stupid. This relies on the set pieces carrying most of the work and they do that spectacularly with the set they've got there and the work they do. And the performances are perfectly fine. They do exactly what you need them to do to carry this film along. I, I don't think, I mean, performance-wise, like you said, they've not, they've not really got much. That it, you know, the main star of this is the theatrics and the visuals I think in terms of like you know the set pieces and whatnot and there are some really good ones I mean if if you're starting right from the beginning I'm just going to say those people probably deserve to get eaten by a shark if you're in the middle of the fucking ocean at midnight that's that's on you anyone on a boat you deserve to be eaten by sharks yes exactly it I thought that actually visually looked terrible as well sorry but just like knowing what's coming up in the film, that literally just I just think it just looked like a boat stuck onto a, an ocean. Like I just didn't and I forgot that scene existed. Is that not what most boats look like though? Like, Titanic 2 could be stuffed up as a boat stuck on an ocean. Like what were you what? expecting? What I mean, you know what I mean? It looks like the CG, it's obviously been CG'd into the ocean so because it's not in an actual ocean is it it's in a swimming pool but it just doesn't look great and that's like as a setup for the film it kind of makes you go oh shit but because you've seen it before you know that that's like excusable because it gets good but yeah 
if you haven't seen it before, ignore that scene. Uh, like I said, I forget that scene exists every time it's, I watch it's it. It's only on for a couple of minutes. It's not like a big only deal. Five, fifty minutes at film? No, not really. But it's um, but I do completely forget that that scene every time. I do. I do think the film does really well in setting up its first official jump or scare because yeah. it goes on for quite a while without actually anything happening. And I, I said to Chris at the time, this is not a slight on, you know, I'm not slaying this film for the sake of it. I did say that I thought the dialogue were questionable because it does, it just come across like we are scientists and we're throwing as many scientist words as we can here to sound like scientists, like Shin Godzilla. You have a huge problem with this in films, as in the same with the exit with Emily Rose. Whether they use any of the actual correct terms to try to set a scene or a job, you have a real issue with them doing it. Excuse me, you forget, say, uh, you forget that we know actual real scientists and I've had scientific stuff explained to me where none of those words have come into it. I understand they might be using correct keywords, but they're using just that, keywords to make it sound like the scientist rather than going into any sort of depth. As someone that has studied like some neurology at university, um, when she is explain when they're in the lab and she is explaining like what's happening to the synapses and the neurons, it actually is quite accurate. Like I've not studied shark neuroscience. I will preface that. So Oh, what I'm is this? Bash this face Saturday. Is that what this is? Because I'm not a scientist, I wouldn't know. Yes, that's absolutely correct. I wouldn't know. But to me, as a layman, it just sounds it just sounds fake, is what I'm saying. However, back to my point, it does a really good job of setting up that first jump because nothing happens for quite a while and it comes out of nowhere. Like, I, I didn't expect it to happen like that. I mean, obviously, if you've seen it, you know, the Skarsgård gets bitten in half when every, they think everything's yeah. gone right. They think that, that is the first jump He loses an arm. He loses an arm, yeah. There's another reveal beforehand where, like, you see a shark going through the ocean and then it gets eaten by a bigger shark. That's great. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, in terms of like people getting- In terms of the jump scares, yeah. Yeah, that's the first, that's what I consider the first for me. I don't know about you guys, but. I am, not that I disagree with you, Fear, on the the language, but I think for me, it's less the language they use and more the person delivering. Yeah, that might, that might be what it is. That might be why I'm I, not convinced. I just don't buy, throughout this film, I don't buy Saffron Burroughs as this, um, as the scientist. This really, uh, there's just something about her that I just don't think she delivers that. She delivers a role. It, like proficiently but I just don't I don't believe her when she's saying what she's saying it's yeah. like she really know what she's saying as an actress so she's just saying it um so that kind of so yeah it, I wouldn't I, for me it's not not the language it's just the deliverer of the that might be I, what it is for me I'm like say I'm just I don't it just doesn't seem natural to me it just seems for me Saffron Burroughs is the villain of the film not the shark she is. yeah she's the villain film um and i know that initially she was supposed to survive but test audiences didn't like it because nobody <laughs> likes their character. yeah i think it does really well the fact that it does that because it looks all the way through that she is when they get to the surface you think oh she's actually gonna survive 
And you, as you say, you are sitting there going, oh, she's really, this is all her fault. She should be the one who, she should have been the first one to go. But, and then it makes it think all the way through. It's like, no, she gets fine. Even when they do the bit where she's like, oh, I'm going to distract it. And she cuts her hand. And you think, okay, so she's going to get in the water, going to bleed out a bit. And then she'll still, she'll still survive. But then see her just go, no, just rip clean in two. Go, yeah, great. I'm really happy that's happened. She she does not deserve to overcome on that in scene, if you ask me. Because what kind of dumbass doesn't just stick the hand in the water, you know, move the blood around and then get out of dodge? What person actually throws themselves in the middle of the water with no exit plan? Someone who's not a real scientist. That's who. Well. <laughs> supposed to be. Yeah, and she studied these sharks. And they've, they've witnessed the way these sharks behave. And as a scientist, I'm guessing throughout she's been processing this because in her mind, she's thinking of, oh, shit, I, I fucked up, so I need to cover my track, but also I need to use what I've learned to develop and amend this, like, serum that I made to cure Alzheimer's. So as this person, as a real scientist, I think she would have been doing that. Basically, she was shit at her job. I'm, no, I'm going to say maybe she was too good at her job and she's realised she's harnessed this god power. You know, like the guy that um, that invented the atomic bomb um, and he's like, I really regret solving that scientific mystery because it created war and famine and everything. Um, maybe she's like that and she's like, I'm just going to sacrifice myself so no one else can wield this power. She's like, she's like Mademoiselle in Martyrs when she shoots herself. <laughs> Art. I mean, to, to be fair, her intentions initially were good and it's for a good cause and hence the reason why she goes back and tries to you know retrieve the data before it ultimately all goes tits up which by the way if you're talking about 10 scenes that scene where they have to get up the tunnel and they have to hold the breath i would have died there is absolutely no way i could hold my breath for that amount of time <laughs> uh, i think we for, for, for once fair i think we're like in tune on some of our thoughts these episodes because you know what I did? I held my breath. breath and yeah. I died five times. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope. I like, like couldn't make it. I didn't even get like, like as soon as room filled up and it took me first breath, I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm done. Like, I can't do this. Uh, but let's not focus on the negatives, Saffron Burroughs. Let's focus on the positives and probably one of the best scenes in the film and for me like a fucking truly amazing scene in general i find it quite terrifying it's when the underground and the things gone off on top and they're looking and that woman's like what's that and he's just on his stretcher towards the shark just drags him and bashes him into the window that scene is fucking ridiculous ridiculous i the love best it bit, the best bit though is that they've like presumably because the ambulance crew have like ventilated him so he's got an oxygen mask on and it's not how oxygen masks work they don't work underwater right they're not like a full-on scuba gear right but he's still alive <laughs> and he's like he's strapped to this stretcher just wiggling around you can just see his eyes moving back and forth and then she's talking to him when his face is like wedged into this four foot thick glass i don't know how he didn't get smushed with the speed of this shark but it's it's brilliant. 
if they'd have put him in full scheme again, that'd have been even better. <laughs> That's what you immediately do do to someone who had their arm ripped off. Give it to a full scheme attack. It's just it's when, as you say though, that scene is completely over top, and it always looks brilliant when you have that glass cra- glass cracking yeah. with pressure behind it. Is always absolutely a top notch effect. As you just have that little cracking, just spreads. I just want to say, Stellan Skarsgård might still be alive because you don't see him die. Like he's alive when he gets smashed into the glass. I would love to see a post-credit scene where he just floats to the surface <laughs> with the mask still on, and he's just on the stretcher, like. Hmm. Yeah, but then a shark comes along at the last minute and just like gets him <laughs> entirely, and he's like, "Fuck! What a day! This has been. This has been a nightmare." <laughs> like, but right, what I was going to say was uh, that woman who you know, Stellan Skarsgård misses. She's taking all that time to talk to him. What the fuck can she actually do? It's her fault that they don't make it into that hatching time because if she'd have moved her little blonde ass, they would have gotten enough time for not all, for the water not to come through and made it easier for themselves in a getaway. I mean, technically, they wouldn't be in this position if Saffron Burrows and had been fucking around with things. So it's not her fault. It's all Saffron Burrows' fault. The move, moving away from all Saffron Burrows constantly is the source of all evil in the world <laughs> there are loads of iconic scenes there let's talk about samuel L. jackson's death death scene oh, it's, so um, it's like the second best shock death of the nautis after the bus crash in final destination yeah yeah the way it comes out of nowhere for a man from man who's obviously known for delivering a monologue absolutely spectacularly for him to start this one and he's there and he's going, yeah, 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 I'm completely on board with this. This passionate speech, just having him then ripped in two by this shark behind him, just works so well. As I say, just comes out absolutely nowhere because he is probably is he the biggest star in the film. Oh no, obviously it's it may be during more of his lean years at this point, but it is still the biggest name in this film. So to see him ripped apart as this. Man who's already survived an avalanche is does come out of absolutely nowhere. You're quite right. It's it's nice to see Samuel Jackson not typecast as like this badass motherfucker that he normally is. I mean that's fine. I love watching Samuel Jackson like that. But you know he's playing he's playing like a head of a company scientist kind of guy. It's all it's it's kind of out of his comfort zone a bit. I find. But he's still a badass motherfucker. Oh, God, he always is. He's just got that look about him. Of course he is. As Chris said, he survived an avalanche. I think he ate people. So, you know, I think he was putting himself in the mind of the shark. And ultimately, him getting eaten by the shark was retribution for the fact that he, he ate people who died in this avalanche. I mean, I don't know if that happened. So, no, not, not Saffron Burroughs' fault, then, this one. Is that what we're saying? Oh, Yeah. Not the avalanche, that's not Saffron. Actually, I bet it was Saffron Burroughs' fault. <laughs> I bet that's what she did before she started working on sharks, investigating our snowfalls on mountains. And she was stood on there going, cling, cling, cling. That's yeah, have, you, have you like kind of falling out with Saffron Burroughs or something? Have you got beef? I don't like her in this film. Do you like her at all? I don't know what else she she's doing. I don't think she's done anything else. I'm also campaigning now that I've LL Cool J as a cameo comedy character in every horror film ever because he does it and brilliantly the, and the bird please include the bird with him and the, that, like <laughs> that like two-piece between both of them is so good the, the introduction of the bird is absolutely amazing 
Can't I believe really, it dies. <laughs> I really love that LL Cool J survived, actually, because I was quite gutted when he got bitten into it. I was like, no, he's come so far and he's fought so hard, you can't kill him off. And then, thankfully, they don't kill him off at the end. I'm happy about that. But I don't I know love- about Deep Blue C2 or 3 that's coming. I feel, I feel really bad with LL Cool J where they have the birthday party for Saffron, Saffron Burrows again. Back <laughs> And everyone's everyone's knocked off. Everyone's enjoyed it, apart from him who's working behind the bar. <laughs> like she's a bitch. Before we finish on LL Cool J, though, can I just talk about a his character growth, where he spends the first hour of the film wanting to kill a bird, and the second hour wanting to seek retribution to the person, the thing that killed its bird. That's amazing writing. And secondly, his rap that closes the film. Have you guys? <laughs> Listen to all of this. So, hey, I just want to say, I don't know what it means when he says, my, my hat's like a shark's fin, my hat's like a shark's fin. But can I, can I read you some of the uh, verses that I particularly love? Yes. Struggling to flow with hemorrhages in your throat, getting the lap dance while I smash through your boat. Eat your whole fam, nothing left behind but a right hand. Your blood is so warm, your life vest is off. And that turns me on. I mean... <laughs> The killer for centuries, the goatee of the deep, in the next millennium, I'm still going to creep. Oh, my God. (laughs) He sounds like he's murdering strippers. My world's deep blue. Killer's going to eat too. Looking for human flesh to rip my teeth through. The other fish in the sea, but barracudas ain't equal to half-human predator created by a needle. Jet black eyes, baby, there stare while you sleep. When your Titanic sinks, I'm the one you're gonna meet. Oh Just my god! Word. word. <laughs> is, is this is this from the perspective of like a horny shark? I think so. Yeah, I think it's like gangster shark. Maybe. Sounds like horny That's- shark. That's a film waiting to be made. Gangster Shark. Do you know what? Not being funny right Pretty much every episode has a new film or TV series. Like, why aren't we millionaires? (laughs) Sorry, yeah. Sorry, I just got really... I'm sorry to talk over you there. I just got excited by the term MC Hammerhead. (laughs) (laughs) That's, yeah. that's 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 the series, yeah. Oh god. <laughs> Forty shark. We've still not even commented on the LL Cool J's fireball, shark fireball, or Saffron Burrow's shark electrocution. Some of the de- shark deaths are really, really great. They are, but there is absolutely no need. And I know you're saying she's insulating herself by taking off her rubber suit, but that just literally feels like an excuse to get her off naked. I thought the same. Also, we all are aware that each shock death is the death of each shock from Joe's 1, 2, and 3. No. no. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's how we kill the sharks. So the first death is the death of Joe's, second one Joe's 2, and the third one Joe's 3. Oh, wow. Didn't pick up on that. That's actually really cool. That is really cool. Yeah, look at that. Um, Also, my, I think, um, just back in the LL Cool J world and the bird world, I love the fact that when LL Cool J picks his weapon to defend himself, he picks a frying pan against (laughs) sharks. 
I mean, it's an obvious choice in a kitchen. It's an obvious choice. He's working with what he knows. Knives. <laughs> Might have worked a little bit better. Um, and the fact that the bird's very last words were, eat me, asshole. <laughs> it's his very first words as well. Right. I think we give, we give him deep blue sea of fur going over in absolutely no way, shape or form. <laughs> Oh, we've got to let Saffron Burrows come up for air now. <laughs> yeah, before we get before we get accused of just a hate campaign, right? So I'll just finish saying, as I said at the start, the reason Deep Blue Sea is brilliant because it's unashamed in what it is. It's a series of spectacular set pieces underpinned by perfectly capable performances with a group of genetically engineered smart killer sharks chasing people around an underground underwater facility and if you can't find the fun in that then i don't know why you're watching killer shark movies but vote deep blue sea so that's been our animal horror episode thank you for listening guys uh, we will get the polls out as always we'll get our little pictures out um hope you vote and make the right choice for arachnophobia if you like spiders or if you like sharks deep blue sea if you like dogs, then Cujo. And if you like demonic, incestuous felines, sleepwalkers. <laughs> You're going to win here, Mercer. You're going to win <laughs> by that logic. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, please do so. We always appreciate you. Drop us a little message from time to time. You can reach us at SpitGraze on both Instagram and Twitter. We are I Spit on Your Graze on Facebook. If you do need to email us, I'm going to say this every single episode until someone does email us. You can reach us at electricpossums at gmail.com. And if you have enjoyed the episode, then please do rate, review and subscribe because it does all help. Thank you. Until next time, have a nice week and we will see you soon. Goodbye. Adios. Bye. I wanted to say my werewolf YouTuber joke or podcaster joke. What do you call a werewolf podcaster? What? Like and subscribe.